is Amanda. And this is Chris. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Vocal Perspective. This is Amanda, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris, and Hello. my occasional dog that might try to bark <laughs> in this interview. But we have a much better guest than my dog. She's actually a neighbor of mine that we just you know, confirmed that we actually live probably within a square mile of each other. We have Lanique Webster. She is of Nomadic and she was also a singer in faux pas at University of Maryland back in her undergrad days. We're so excited to have you, Lanique. How are you? I am good. How is everybody? <laughs> Doing all right. Down We're surviving. Virginia. We're making it. <laughs> but Amanda, you said back in her undergrad days, from my understanding, she's right back in her undergrad again. So <laughs> it's almost like yes, I am. time stood so still. Back. Time did a whole lot of things and what stood still was not one of them. But right? <laughs> we are it back. It just goes in a circle, you know? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's a whole just like ellipse of some sort. Like what are you really studying, Lanique? What are you working on right now? I am back studying music education, finishing up my degree that I started in 2011 and ended abruptly in the spring of 2016 due to some financial aid drama and the passing of my mother and it was a whole lot of stuff. But lots of things has happened. Well, that's great that that you're finishing. That's amazing. I'm so glad to hear that you're not, you're just not giving up on that. I was a music education major back in I'm trying, when did I graduate? Oh, back in 2005. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, 2005, I think. Wow. 2000. Okay. I graduated in December of 2004. So that makes it feel uh-huh. even better. But, but yeah, that's music education is a big love of mine. It really is. I'm too, I was too close not to finish. So I was like, let's get this stuff done. Let's get her done. <laughs> awesome. Well, you have a lot of different music in your life, but we're going to start with your acapella stuff. So tell us like, well, clearly you have a love of music, but how did you get <laughs> drawn into this crazy little world of acapella that we live in? So when I got to Maryland, it was just kind of like walking around the school of music, looking for like stuff and was actually watching a Beyonce DVD on my very old MacBook that is now dead and gone, my little Alpine snow baby. <laughs> and my best friend who wasn't my best friend at the time, but was going to become it, Michael Brizentine, he was like, oh, you watching Beyonce? And I was like, yeah, why would you not be watching Beyonce? It was when her four album had just come out and it was like big things happening. And he was like, hey, I feel like you can sing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I, sing, on, I sing a little bit. And a little bit. He was a, like, a little you, bit, should, yeah. you should audition <laughs> for this stuff that's going on tonight. And I said, well, what's going on? It was like the, the middle of the day on a Tuesday, I think, something like that. And so he was like, yeah, you should come audition. And literally, I was like, okay, let's freaking do it. Then, this sounds then, like a movie script, guys. This sounds like a movie. That's what it is. <laughs> the ba- My life is a like, movie. This is like the basis of pitch perfect again like this is I, like, I like better than pitch perfect like no offense exactly no offense, kendrick nice I'm just like prettier and better you know what i'm saying i'm not much better but <laughs> too, okay let's make this a movie let's do it let's do it the story of the next life but yeah so that's how i got involved i auditioned for faux pas and didn't get in this which is my story so Wait, i am what? a reject i did not get in my first try i auditioned for freshman year and did not get in they thought i was cocky because i was like kind of quiet and we all know me, I'm not very quiet at all. But my mom told me before I went to school, she said, Neek, you have a big mouth. And I said, you're right, you ain't lied yet. And <laughs> she said, it's not a bad thing to just be quiet and observe every now and then. And so I took one of the first times I ever listened to my mom on the first time. And so I did, I just like kind of went into college with a brand new mindset of just like, 
my mouth doesn't have to be the person that opens every time. I can just listen and observe and see what's going on. So full pause was the only group that I auditioned for because you know how acapella, collegiate acapella does. I heard everybody else and I was like, hmm, they didn't move me. Full pause, the group at the time sang, I think it was Cosmic Love by Florence and the Machine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, this is music. This is something I know. I know, I know when I get a feeling from something. So that was the only group I auditioned for. And I didn't get in, Michael got in. And they was like, yo, they're crazy for not taking it. I said, you know, it's all right. Like, it's okay. And finally, I can be a big fan of something and not have to be a part of it. And so I was their biggest fan for three years. And then Michael became music director. And then he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time. The time is now. Let's go. <laughs> three years. That's uh-huh. incredible. That's like a different level of dedication than somebody who just gets right in. I don't know. I oh, yeah. am... I'm floored. Three years. I I always felt like every time I got rejected from something, I pretty much just never went for it again. (laughs) So it's really inspiring. Oh, sometimes when I just like get a sense that I might be rejected, I'm like, no, I'm just gonna pass. (laughs) True. (laughs) But, you know, and good on Michael for (laughs) encouraging you to come back because I mean, you were, you know, of all the collegiate performances I've seen, yours are, are some of the most memorable. So tell us a little bit about that time with Bopaz because I mean, you really put your stamp on it. Something like that. So when Michael, so what happened was when Michael became music director in the fall, it was, it was the fall of our junior year. And he was like, Hey, we've had like five people quit. And I said, Oh, okay, that's nice. And (laughs) he said, Hey, I need you to like come in and like, he he didn't want to say like fake audition, but like, I'm in charge now. And so you're obviously going to get in because I need you. And so I said, I mean, at the time, my mom was probably the sickest she had been. And so I was a little nervous about it because there were things like ICCA, when you're preparing for ICCA, we took it very seriously. We weren't those Mm -hmm. people like we took we took that prep very seriously. We took all of our rehearsals very, it was the probably some of the most serious stuff we had done besides like our lessons and our juries and things like that as music majors. So acapella was very serious and I didn't want to, anything I, I'm a part of, I never want to half-ass. So I just was nervous because I had always had this weird kind of, I would say like this recurring nightmare or like just thought process that something would happen to my mom and I would be somewhere very far away and not be able to get home. I would always just kind of be very fearful Mm. of that all throughout my collegiate um, career. So I ended up, I said, you know what, let me think about this. Let me just go home and talk to my mom. At the time I had, I finally had a little car that got me up and down the highway. So I went home and I said, mom, should I do this? I know if I do this, it'll probably be worth my while. I know that. But if something were to happen to you and I weren't able to get back home, because at the time I really wasn't going back home anyway, because my mom didn't look, she didn't look very healthy. She sounded, she never sounded like she wasn't healthy. She never sounded like she wasn't herself, but she didn't look like the mom I grew up with. So I didn't go home often, but I called her on the phone. But this trip, I said, you know, I have to go home. I have to talk to her. And she mm-hmm. said, Neek, no matter what happens to me, you have to live your life. You have to live your life freely. Don't worry about it because you, this is your life. This ain't Marina's life. This is your life. This is Lenique's life. So live free. And so I went back to Michael that night and I said, okay, I guess we're doing this. And so then I started my little career with Popeyes. The first year was kind of trash, actually. I'm not going to lie. Looking back on it now, I'm sure Michael <laughs> would say the same. We just were like, just young and kind of dumb. And like our first ICCA set was like, really just like we sang Can't Hold Us. So why would we ever do that? How would we, why would we do that? We literally had somebody rapping. Why would we do that? We just swore we were, we were really the ish. And, and looking back on it, we really weren't. 
But it was an idea and we stuck to it. If we got a grade for effort, it was going to be an A. And so I think just throughout this period, those like two years, I remember our first ICCA set was like, can't hold us. And we did, I think it was Hercules or something. I think we ended up like subbing one of the songs for, oh no, it was freaking Skinny Love. We sang Skinny Love. (laughs) That was really pretty. We sang some other stuff. Regardless of it, it, some of it was really trash. Some of it was good, but some of it was really too bad. And then I would just say that we kind of started changing our way of preparing with who are they, what songs best fit their voice. Once we kind of got into that arena, once we got into that idea and that mindset, everything got better. Right. So I think the year was 20, I think it might've been 2014, 2015 that year. And we ended up starting our set off with Come Into My Head by Kimbra. And that was, the, that was one of my, one of the solos that I sang. And it was just fun. Like we just like yep. kind of went crazy, got a little ugly, which is nice in terms of vocals. Like that was one thing Michael would say that I taught him. And that is not everything has to be so pretty and tall and choral. There are some things that can just be forward and nasty sounding and it still sound very good. The collective still sound very good. So we got into that and then we sang, I think we sang Gone by Leanne Havis in that particular set. Mm-hmm. And we did Take Me to Church and we sang La La La. So we sang four songs in that set and we went to finals that year. You did. And we it was we just got better throughout those two years. I, I think there's a lesson yeah. there in, you know, you said you were having fun and you were working hard, but you all took a good look at yourselves and were like, we can do this better. And you actually implemented ways to make yourselves better. And I think That's a lot of groups could learn from that. It was a literal change and people were trying to be very democratic about it all. And I I guess maybe that's a, that's a weird word to say, but when you're competing, sometimes what's best for the whole isn't going to be what's best for the group if you're looking for a specific outcome and so when we decided like it don't matter how many solos cuz has if they're one of our better soloists they're gonna get this solo and we're gonna work around them for a big show if we're doing like a little concert we can be democratic here but if we're trying to win let we got to put our best foot our best shoe on that foot our best pedicure on that foot everything has to be top tier and so it literally went from from michael and so then Michael graduated and then Josh took over. And once Josh took over, Josh was, I, I would say, well, Michael was the music ed major of it. And one thing that Michael said to me not too long ago, actually, but this is something I believe just from being a choral ed major is that the sound of the group is going to take on the sound of whoever its leader is. Mm-hmm. So Michael is by far one of the greatest choral singers I've ever met and will ever know in my life and teaches in that regard and is fabulous. Josh was a more soloistic voice and he kind of had the mashup of introducing kind of a soloistic voice and still keeping that choral sound. So then Hushy, well, we call, his name is Josh, but I call him Hushy. He just introduced this different kind of sound. And by this point, my mom had actually, (laughs) my mom had passed away. So I guess... I was technically out of the group. I had done like, I was like, they given me all my senior stuff. And they were like, yeah, because Monique was supposed to graduate, but didn't, whatever. So I was going to just end my year. The year that Michael ended was going to be my year. Mm-hmm. And then Josh was like, hey, let's circle back. You're still a student and you should just sing with us for ICCA. We're going to do it. So I said, I mean, I ain't doing nothing for real. All right. And then that was the year that Sing It On approached us. There was That's like a really awesome story. Bit of a time in there where I was like, I don't really know if I want to do this. But then was like, I really am not doing anything. It doesn't really matter. And you're sad and depressed anyway. So why don't you just go make good use of your time if you're going to do it? 
So I did. And that year we went to finals again. The funny story about dog days, I think I've said this before in another podcast that I did, but the story of dog days is Michael had wanted to do dog days a long time. The year that we did come into my head, Michael wanted to do dog days. So they gave me a whole list of songs. They were like, oh, we'd like to do this. We think we sound good in your voice. I made like Boy of and Dog Days and a couple other songs that they wanted me to sing. And I just kept them on my phone. I played a Come Into My Head and Dog Days for my mom. And my mom said, I like coming to my head. I see you kind of walking around like a crazy person. I like that. You should probably do that one. And then she said about Dog Days, mm, it's good, but I don't think you're ready to sing that yet. And I was like, all right. Anything my mom said. <laughs> Your mom sounded delightfully being. honest. <laughs> My mom was one of the most honest people I have ever known in my life. And that's where I get my honesty from. She don't hold no punches. And I really, I really love that about her. <laughs> so she said, you're oh. not ready to sing that. And then, so the year that Josh was directing, they were like, well, Michael was like, you know what? Let's bring up Dog Days again. And I was like, bro, I don't want to sing that. I, don't, I really don't want to sing that. I wanted to sing a different song that they wanted to do. And I was like, you know what? This ain't my group, whatever. If, the, if y'all want to do that, I'll do it, whatever. I said, but I'm not making a new voice memo for it. So just use the old voice memo. And so Michael arranged Dog Days with my old voice memo from when my mom was alive. And then Dog Days became the almost like the thing that I'm most known for. So it is. That was a good story. Yeah, it was a thing. Well, and I think I, I think you channeled all of the the feelings that came along with losing your mom and, and going through that hard time. I mean, every college group was trying to do Florence and the Machine at that time. Every single one. That's very true. And yet your performance is always what caught my attention. And I think it was because there was some genuine feeling behind it. Not to mention like your voice is suited for it, even though you might not have been ready for it before you were certainly ready when you actually sang it. So let's move on a little bit after faux pas. You are now in a group called Nomadic. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about Nomadic because you guys popped up here and there and then the pandemic kind of shut everything down. But I see that you guys are rising again. So I'm we are, we are in the resurrection process right now. <laughs> so yeah, so after I left Fauxpas, I was like, okay, y'all, I'm done now. And then was just kind of <laughs> like, it. well, what am I doing? I'm not doing nothing with acapella, which is fine. I just kind of like became the Fauxpas grandma and would go help them out with masterclass them and do sectionals and things like that with Amrit, who was in charge at the time. And then I was super in with TVC for a while, just like a big, just like one of the, the kind of friends that they had uh, recorded. And I was in this slack. And so JD said audition for June. And I said, all right. And then ended up in Memphis for a callback. And then this group of girls, or group of females with this incredible rhythm section was like, oh, this is it. This is what, this is the sound. I think that will be good and we'll be able to do some stuff with it. So I was a part of the group that was selected. And we did like a two week retreat in Memphis in June of 2018, I think. Mm -hmm. And we like got like all these different arrangements. And then Isaiah, who we all know as the mastermind and the alchemist, he just did what he does and created these like incredible arrangements for us. And then like, we just became a real group. It really just, I was like, oh, this is a real thing. And then you like, well, I would listen to recordings of us even in 2018. And I'd be like, oh, there's real magic here. This isn't like, this isn't something that's not, good it was really really good and that was a different sound than I was used to but it was still something that was um palpable and was still something that I think was marketable and well it's still marketable but now we're doing it on our own um but it just was it was good to be singing in that way again 
and good to be singing at the caliber that I was singing at with those particular people. Nomadic wasn't nomadic for a while. And then by the end of the retreat, we were nomadic. It took us a while to get there, though. They would agree with they would agree with that little journey of trying to figure out what our name was going to be. Oh, yeah. Real little, it was real cute. Nomadic is real cute. <laughs> so, I mean, you're one of the only groups... I mean, aside from, you know, like groups that Simon Cowell puts together, you're a group that was handpicked from across the Mm -hmm. country and you guys happened to gel and and things worked. And, you know, you kind of went through, like you said, a boot camp. Were there things in that that you learned from that you wish you'd had in faux pas or if you were in any other group? What was so like beneficial about that? that short period of time that you were all in Memphis together? I think that one of the main differences was, and I think also just one of the great highlights of what that time really did for us is in college and when we have collegiate groups, everyone is there, but not everybody wants to put in the amount of work or has the same amount of like energy and effort that they want to really put in. And so when you have a group like that's fully volunteer, we are all volunteer, but we all had a passion and have a drive or singing things well, putting in the time and the energy to make that happen, putting in the time and the energy to make sure things are rehearsed, make sure things are sounding right. Having a guide like JD was like, honestly, JD reminds me a lot of one of my mentors and from college, who is my advisor again, Dr. Elvis. JD reminds me a lot of him and he just has an ear and he has this like energy about him. I call it Aries energy because we're both Aries, but he just has this leadership kind of quality about him that is makes it very easy to follow and also just makes it easy to want to do things, if that makes any sense. It's just like it, it's easy to get behind an energy like that. Um, yeah, I feel like we hear this a so, lot. I feel like we hear this a lot among groups uh, that the having the everybody there all on the same page and all putting in the same level of effort as well, but just energy, you know what I mean? The energy exchange that is needed from that person. And it's kind of a cool thing when it happens and you find that group. And a lot of times, you know, groups struggle and they wonder why they're struggling. And I think if they looked a little bit more at some of these things that you're touching on, I think they might figure out what they're missing. Yeah. Now that we're doing things on our own and now we're back, which feels really good. The pandemic really just came at an opportune time. It really did. But it was, I think it ended up doing us good. I think distance really makes the heart grow fonder. And I really was grateful for the time to rest, but also just the time to really evaluate what's important in my life throughout the pandemic. RIP to everybody who lost their lives in COVID-19. It still ain't over. So let's not be crazy. Everybody's still masked up. But I really just understood the fact that, oh, these people are important. And it's not just what we are able to produce, but it's just their friendship is really important to me. So that's also really important. And making sure that everyone in the group is putting forth that same effort. And that's sort of what happened like with with Denise's exit and then us having to find a new member. It just, I think Denise really recognized that it just might've been too much and it was a severe vocal tax for her and it just kind of got, it got to be a bit much. And so she had to step away and it made us then able to regroup. And then now we have a new member who is back with a different kind of energy, but it's just as energy is very important. And we can't, like the ability to sing well is great but you got to actually like the people that you sing with too. And that's really important. So, so now that things are, I mean, obviously we are not over 
in this pandemic at all. And the the world of entertainment, as we know it, is definitely going to look different. So I love how most of the people we've interviewed during this time have always had a positive spin. And you just as mentioned one as well, the, the chance to kind of evaluate and, and realize what's important to you. And I know that that had to drive you back to music education and finishing this degree. How is that gelling with the work in Nomadic? And how are you seeing education in a new light? And, and how is it all kind of blending together because I know as a former music teacher that you can take the music teacher out of the school but you will carry that all with you all the time so how are you making that balance that's a great question to be (laughs) honest I've always said I've always said the balance is a cuss word to me just because I feel like there is never a time when I'm ever going to be giving like something like it's never going to be a full 50 50 it's never gonna I've always said that balance is a cuss word balance is not something that I'm seeking for what I'm seeking for is to maintain my contentment and to maintain my happiness and maintain my fulfillment. So I don't think that something balance is something that I could ever achieve. I think that being able to find the music education in everything that I do, being able to be the musician that I am in everything that I do, not just, oh, I'm pulling on, I'm putting on a different hat now because I'm worship leading, or I'm putting on a different hat now because I'm singing a nomadic. They are different hats. They're different facets or they're different applications of all the things that I've learned. But at the end of the day, they all really do gel together. So I don't just, I don't become a different Neek. I really don't. Like I'm literally the same Neek that exists every day. I think that's how you know that you're doing the right things. You know, I think the things that take you out of feeling like yourself are the ones that you have to evaluate the most, but you could be doing a million things, but if it all feels like it's you, then that's how you know. I, I, I really, what I, what I know now is that music and singing and performing and and teaching it's not just something i'm good at it's something that i was anointed for and i think that there really is a difference when it's something that you love and it's just like oh this is my hobby like no this ain't a hobby for me like this is a way of life for me and this like my journey with education didn't stop because i wasn't in school my journey with education continued to flow and to process. And I really, like I I said this, I don't remember who I was talking to, but I said this to somebody. I really am just getting a piece of paper now, like that says that I can do the job that I've been doing for the past, I don't know how many years. I've been doing this job for a while. I just don't. And so I do need the paper. I need that to make more money. I need it to actually be in the music education field that I want to be in. But I just, there is so much to be said about finding what you love and understanding what that is and understanding that it doesn't have to look like a mold that somebody else did. It doesn't have to be what somebody else is doing. It really is. It is what you make it. And my dad said, that, that's what I said it. My dad, my dad said, if you find what you love and really never work a day in your life. And so I'm doing a lot and I'm busy and I'll be tired, but so I'm doing what I love. And there's excitement and there's drive there and there's passion there. And I just love it. I really do. Well, and you know, the kids that you're working with are lucky because we need teachers that love what they do. We need teachers that are there for the exact reasons that you just said you're there for. And I I think it's going to make a huge difference because I mean, oh, for sure. Most of the people that are listening, we know music changed our lives. We know music adds something to our lives. And none of us would get there without a good educator at some point in our lives that is so that is so facts and I just oh my god this is so crazy because I had like two of my mentors one passed away in I think I think Dr. Margolin passed away in 2015 not very long after my mom or not or yeah I think it was after my mom and then my voice teacher my collegiate voice teacher literally just passed away on Sunday 
And I just am like, there is something to be said about your teachers and how I know I'm, I'm one of those people that's like kind of out of sight, out of mind. And when I don't see somebody, it's not that I don't love them, but really will just forget to stay in contact or whatever. I will say that when you love somebody, please tell, give your people their flowers while they're alive. Like literally, that is so important. It's so important to tell people how they impacted you and how they changed your life. It's really important to do that. It has been a pleasure to spend this time with you. Thank you so much for your sharing your wisdom and your insight. And I can't wait to see all the amazing things that are going to come from you in acapella and in education and beyond, because I believe you are headed beyond both of those. So thank you so much for thank joining you, us. And Everyone else, we'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. <laughs>